0: Welcome to the Dogwood Podcast, a presentation of Dogwood Church. For more information, visit dogwood.church. We hope you enjoy the message. Wow, would you thank this crew one more time? You know, they re- they remind me of that after the first service, they remind me of the little girl in my buddy's church I've told you about before that got up and just sang the stars down out of heaven one morning. And after services, he caught her and he said, you just did so wonderful. And she, you know, she didn't know how to take that compliment, you know, real pure hearted. And she said, well, it, it wasn't me. It was the Lord. And he said, I could have sworn I saw your lips move. <laughs> I think their lips were moving up here. Oh, I'm so thankful for, Uh, artists who use their God-given gifts to praise Him. When we come to the Christmas passages in the New Testament, uh, we often think about angels and we, we tend to think, remember that uh, the angel of the Lord appeared to Mary. We tend to remember that many of the angels appeared to the shepherds, but sometimes we forget that an angel also appeared to Joseph. And we want to go to that today. Take your copy of the Scriptures, turn to the Gospel of Matthew, very first book in the New Testament. We're back in chapter 1 today, but scroll all the way down, take your finger all the way down to verse 18. And... Um, You follow along. Let me read this aloud. This is God's word to us. The birth of Jesus Christ came about this way. After his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, it was discovered before they came together that she was pregnant from the Holy Spirit. So her husband Joseph being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her publicly, decided to divorce her secretly. But after he had considered these things, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife because what has been conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to name him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Now, all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. See, the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they will name him Emmanuel, which is translated, God is with us, This is God's word to us. <clears throat> now, what the angel said was stunning to Joseph. Now, we have heard it all our lives. And again, we're 2,000 years uh, this other side of the incarnation of Christ, of, the, of, of Christ's earthly ministry, His death, His life, His works, His death, His burial, His resurrection uh, from the dead... Uh, you've, like me, you've lived through a few Christmases and you've heard this story. And so you might just kind of want to hydroplane over it. But this was stunning to Joseph. And it should be stunning to you and me uh, this December morning. And he said, well, Pastor, then, then what, what did he say? And what is he, what is he saying to us today that's so astonishing, so stunning? Well, he said three things. That he did not say, that the angels did not say to Mary. They did not say this to the shepherds. Joseph heard this only. Jesus is God. Jesus is human. And Jesus is here. He is with us. He is with us. He said, first of all, uh, Jesus is God. Look in verse 23. Verse 23, we find a direct statement of the identity, the shocking, stunning, astonishing Identity of Jesus. And Matthew looks back and he quotes uh, a well known prophecy to the Jewish leaders, the Jewish religious leaders, and scholars of the day, and all the Jewish people, goes all the way back to the prophecy of Isaiah almost 800 years earlier, and he quotes him in verse 23 See, the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they will name him Emmanuel, which is translated, God is with us. He's, the son's going to come, but it's God who is with us. Now, wait a minute. The, people say all the time, the Bible never claimed that Jesus was God. Well, duh. Just all over the place. I mean, right here in the first chapter of the New Testament, Jesus is God come In the flesh, this is shocking. This is stunning. And again, for centuries, Jewish scholars, religious scholars, and leaders knew of this prophecy. That was not news, but they they, it was so unimaginable that they believed it to would would somehow be fulfilled uh, figuratively. That that some great man of God would show up and do mighty works for God, and somehow that would be God's presence with us. But the prophecy was not fulfilled figuratively, but literally, right here. God literally became a baby. There's nothing like a baby, is there? No, no, certainly nothing like this baby. Uh, See, Matthew was Jewish. And remember, his primary audience in writing his gospel was to the Jews of the first century. And he was presenting the life of Christ in an apologetic to try to convince them that Jesus was the Christ, the long-awaited Messiah. And, and so Matthew was quite knowledgeable with the Hebrew Scriptures, what we would know as the Old Testament today. And uh, he would also know that the Jews view of God, as expressed in the Old Testament, was distinctive from every other group's view of God in the world. Certainly different from the Eastern religions. They believed that God was kind of like, you know, in Star Wars, you know, the force, this kind of impersonal force at work in all of the universe. That's Eastern thought. Um, he understood that the, some of the Western religions, the Greeks and the Jews, believed in non-omnipotent, a bunch of little gods that were kind of created beings that could you know, would show up and do stuff every now and then. No, no, no. The Jews had a distinctive view of God. They were the people on earth least likely, least open to ever believe that God would become a human. And yet that's who, that's what Matthew's trying to do convince them inspired by God's holy spirit you see the jews believed in a god who was both personal and infinite they did not believe that god was a part of the universe they believed that god was created the universe and was the ground and foundation of the universe that he existed above and outside he is transcendent above and uh, and outside of the universe that he created. And so uh, they were, again, the people least open to this view. Everything in a Hebrew in the first century, everything in a Jew in the first century would push back at the idea that a human being could be God. Uh, they would not even pronounce the name of God out of, I think God is so other. And yet... Jesus, when He was here on this earth, by His life, by His ministry, by His own claims to be no less than God in the flesh, and then by His resurrection, He convinced the Jews, the the Jewish people closest to Him in the entire world, that He was in fact God. And later on He convinced Thousands of Jews to, to declare him to be God and to bow down and worship him and commit their lives to him. You see it in the book of Acts chapter 2. Thousands in one day were convinced that Jesus was the Christ, that Jesus was God. You say, well, okay, pastor, I can see you kind of wound up about this Jesus is God thing. Um, and I, I get it. I, that's, that's the claim of Christianity. But what does that have to do with you and me? Well, it calls for a response to you and me. In fact, it presents you and me this morning in December of 2017 with um, kind of three big issues. First of all, it, it presents you and me with an intellectual challenge. How many of you have uh, <clears throat> ever uh, traveled and stood on the uh, the Western Continental Divide in the United States? Anybody, you should try it. It's good. Thing out along the Rocky Mountains there. You know what a watershed is? It's a ridge, and the Continental Divide is a watershed. It's it means that there's this ridge of mountains, and water that falls on this side of the top of the mountain will flow this way to these rivers and to these oceans. And water that falls on this side of the divide, this watershed, they'll go to these rivers and these other oceans. It divides the water. It makes it, it. There's got to be a choice. This stunning claim of Christmas is is a belief, an intellectual watershed. We have to deal with it. Uh, We have to deal with it because this claim of Christianity is the single most stunning, staggering, astonishing claim of the Christian faith. Jesus is God. And we have to say, well, can can I possibly believe such a thing? Yet, it leaves us no author. Either Either you're going to believe it or you're not. You're going to believe it or not. So there's an intellectual challenge that Christmas brings to you and me if we just take the moment to think the least bit clearly about this claim. It also presents you and me with a personal crisis. See, if you go ahead and read of the activity of Jesus in the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we find that uh, He evokes extreme responses in people. I mean, He he acts like a giant billiard ball, and He breaks up ideas and people's thoughts and ways of living, and they react... um, In extreme ways, Uh, some group of people became so furious with him that they tried to throw him off a cliff or kill him. Others uh, were so terrified that he might be who he claimed to be that they cried out, Oh please, I'm I'm an unholy man, get away from me. You know, extreme, extreme responses. Why? Because of the stunning claim of Christmas. Jesus is God, who he claimed to be who he claimed uh, to be. And so if Jesus is who the angel said to Joseph that he was, and if Jesus is who he himself claimed to be, no less than God in human flesh, um, then you and I have to, we have to, we have a crisis. We either have to center our lives on him, our entire existence on him, or if he's not who he said he is then we either hate him or run away from him he's either he's either god or he's the most evil wicked deceiving person who ever lived or he's nuts and so that that's the we have a crisis here we have an intellectual crisis we have a personal crisis we have to deal with but also he presents us with a magnificent hope because if If this stunning claim of Christmas, the angel that Jesus is God, is true, that means this world, our world is not all there is. It means that that there is life and love after death. Death is not all there is. That means that evil and suffering one day will be eliminated. And it's not just hope for the world with all of its unending um, problems, but it also means there's hope for you and me with our unending failings. Our unending sins there's hope for us, there's great hope in christ. you see the 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 biblical if God were only holy, he would have never come down to be with a, with a bunch of riff laugh raff like us look around and who you're sitting next to. I mean you know you, you, you don't know where they've been. And, uh, and so, uh, you know, he would, if God was holy, he would have never come down to it. Uh, he'd, he'd have commanded, you get morally straight and clean yourself up and, 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 and earn your way to be accepted by me. If God were just only infinitely loving, then he'd have just... He wouldn't have come either. He said, oh, it's no big deal. You'll be okay. I forgive. You know, just he would have ignored our sin. But the biblical God is both holy... Therefore, our sin cannot be overlooked. He's also infinitely loving. Infinitely loving and so uh, He knew we could never climb up to Him. And so He came down to us. The stunning claim of Christmas is God came to earth to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. Deal with our sin and find a way to forgive us and reconcile us uh, to him so so that's not all there's more to this claim of Christmas. The angel also said to Joseph, Jesus is God, but he also said, Jesus is human. Jesus is human. look at verse twenty one She will give birth to a god. no what she will give birth to a what a son, a baby, a human being. Jesus is human uh, one of the great lessons of christmas the 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 christian teaching of christmas is that jesus was simultaneously fully god and fully human fully man said so, pastor how would he do that write this down i don't know i don't know he's god we'll get to ask him one day but that's the teaching of uh, this great wonderful mystery he is fully Human. You say, okay, okay, pastor, I, I see that's a, a miraculous thing and a big deal, but practically what does that have to do with you and me? Well, it has many implications for you and me that Jesus became human. I just want to talk about one today. You ready for this one? I just want to talk about one. It means that um, because Jesus became fully human, we have available to us infinite comfort in suffering. How does that work? Well, you have to go back over to the book of the Bible that Pastor Jay Vineyard mentioned during our prayer time, the book of Hebrews. If you go back over to the book of Hebrews, chapter 2, verses 17 and 18, we find these words. It says that Jesus was made like us, verse 17, fully human in every way. Fully human in every way. And verse 18 says that that means because He Himself suffered... When he was tried and tested, he is able to help those who are being tried and tested. It means he, he came because he was fully human. He experienced the fullness of life as a human, including suffering. Including suffering. You know, it's, uh, sometimes life is hard. We prayed a few moments ago. Uh, that God would help us with our hurts. And uh, when life is good, life is good, but boy, when life gets hard, sometimes it can be very, very lonely. And it helps when people come to comfort us. It really helps when people come to comfort us who have already been through what we're going through. Most of you know that my mother died four weeks ago. And um, you have all been incredibly comforting to me and my family, to me and Allison and our girls and my extended family, your words, your prayers, your letters, your notes, your hugs. uh, You've been incredibly comforting. But all of you have. But that night, Monday night, November the 20th, when I walked with Allison out of ICU, uh, some of you were there. Some of you were there. But the first person to greet me at the door, after mom died, was my brother-in-law, Bob Bagby, whose mother died just a couple of years ago. And he grabbed me, and he hugged me, and then he held me back like this, and, and he looked me in the eyes, and he said, It's never a good day to lose your mama. Well, I, you know, I, I knew what he'd been through. It, it was comforting to me. And right behind him in line was Pastor J.B. Collingsworth on our team. J.B.'s mama died years ago. And J.B. just grabbed me and hugged me and said, I'm so sorry your mama has died. Well, I just knew both those guys had already done it. There was something uniquely comforting about people comforting me who'd already been through what I was going through. You know what I'm talking about. Well, the Scripture says that Christmas means, the incarnation means that since Jesus was fully human and that he suffered and that he triumphed over suffering it means that he now has the infinite power to comfort you and me no matter what we're going through you say well have you ever been betrayed by people closest to you well so is jesus have you ever been lonely so has jesus if you have you ever been destitute well so has jesus have you ever faced death well so has jesus some of you say, well, I, you don't understand, Pastor. I have prayed to God for some big things, and God ignored me. He did not answer my prayer. He does not understand. Well, hey, in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus cried out like this in prayer, Father, may this cup be taken from me, Matthew twenty-three thirty-nine tells us, and yet he was turned down. God the Father didn't answer that prayer. Jesus knows the pain of unanswered prayer. And some of you say, well, I'm in this time of suffering. I just feel like God's abandoned me. He's let me down. Well, how do you think, what do you think Jesus was feeling when he was hanging on the cross and he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Same stuff. Same stuff. He became human and accomplished many things because of that, but in part, One of the things, one of the benefits to you and me of him being human and with us is that he is infinitely able to comfort us in our sorrow because he has experienced everything we will ever experience. Merry Christmas. Now, buddy, that'll, that you unwrap that this Christmas. Yeah, I want a God like that. I want a God like, this is a stunning claim of Christmas. Jesus is God and Jesus is human. He is human, and that means therefore, you can trust him. you can rely on him you can you because he knows and has the power to comfort and strengthen and bring you through it i 've watched him bring you through many of you through incredible times of suffering, and yet here you are dust is the smoke has cleared you 're still standing in fact, most of you are smiling. You know what i 'm talking about. What a God, what a God. Well, the angel announced this. To Joseph, Jesus is God. Jesus is human. But then he also said, Jesus is here. He is with us and you can be with him. The purpose of the incarnation of Christ, the purpose of God becoming human on earth is not just so we'd have this miraculous thing happen, but so you could know him. So we could be in relationship with him. He became uh, human so that you you could know his love. Through faith in him, you could know and receive his love and be in a loving relationship with him. Well, now, this calls for a response on our part. And it called for a response on the part of Joseph. When the angel told him these things, if you go on down to verse 24, you'll find that uh, when Joseph woke up, He did as the Lord's angel had commanded him. He married her. Now consider the kind of courage this took, what the announcement of the angel meant to Mary and Joseph. Mary's pregnant. Joseph knows he is not the father. And so he decides to break off the engagement, but the angel shows up and says, marry her. She's pregnant by the Holy Spirit. Again, let's not hydroplane over that. Picture Joseph's response. What? What does that even mean? You know what it means now. But he didn't. What does this... What? How does this... Why does this happen? But Joseph responds. But he knows if he marries her... The culture that Joseph and Mary lived in in first century Palestine was a shame and honor culture. Now, I don't have time to explain all the implications, but it is a shame and honor culture. And so if Joseph marries Mary, everybody in that shame and honor culture will know that this child was not born nine or ten months after the wedding ceremony and that she was already pregnant. That would mean to the community that Joseph and Mary either had sex before marriage or that Mary was unfaithful to Joseph during the engagement period. The result either way would be that they were going to be publicly, formally shamed by their community They would live as second-class citizens for the rest of their lives. So here's the message to Joseph. And here's the message to you and me. If Jesus comes into your life, if He is with you and you are with Him, you are going to lose your stellar reputation. That takes courage to make that choice. And and it calls for you and me to have the same kind of courage. Courage, first of all, to take the world's scorn, the world's disdain at you believing the claim of Christmas and being a follower of Jesus. It's going to take courage. You're going to need courage to make that Uh, commitment because this is coming. All of Joseph's friends are going to say here, either you got her pregnant before you were married or she was unfaithful to you. Now, can you imagine Joseph trying to tell them the truth? No, 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 I can explain, he says. I can explain. God did this, not me. Can you imagine um, the stares of his friends and and extended family members of his own mama? What? What? They're not going to believe Him. The truth is, some of your friends are not going to understand if you seriously believe the claim of Christmas and you commit your life to Christ. It's going to take courage to do that. Uh, they, they will either all think you're crazy or you will lose your stellar reputation uh, with many of the people that you love and admire. Certainly with our, our culture. Virtually all Christians across the ages have and will experience this same thing in some of their relationships. Early this morning, I read a report in Baptist uh, Press that in the month of December, over 100 followers of Jesus have been killed uh, in Northeastern Nigeria um, by Fulani herdsmen, and it appears that the national military have been aiding the herdsmen in these attacks. Now, there's almost no physical persecution of followers of Jesus in Western countries. We're not experiencing that uh, today, but there is and will be an increasingly uh, greater amount of ridicule and contempt uh, for those in our culture Right here in our community, who hold to the historic biblical beliefs of Jesus and follow him. we're seeing it every day. And so it takes courage to believe and commit to Christ. It takes another kind of of courage It takes, and I want you to listen up closely to this one. It takes courage to give up your right of self-determination. Now let me explain that one. look at verse twenty one the angel said to Joseph, and you are to name him Jesus. Let me explain the implications of what happened there. The culture in which Joseph lived was a patriarchal culture. And in that patriarchal, patriarchal culture of the day, it was the father's absolute right to name his children there were no little, you couldn't go to a baby store and there weren't all these nice little books of baby names and the wife could sit down and say, Oh, look at all these names. Let's talk about this. There was no talking about it. There was no, there was no debate. You didn't, you know, nobody, the family didn't weigh in on Facebook and give their suggestions for names. You know, nobody but the father had the right and he had the absolute right to name the children. It meant that the father in that culture had complete rights over their children, and the naming of the children was an exercise of control over the family. And so when the angel came to Joseph, he took that completely away from Joseph. Now, here, here's what you will name him. He took that completely away and so, by refusing to let Joseph name Jesus, the angel is saying this Joseph, the message to you is that if Jesus is going to be in your life, you will not be his manager, he will become yours. And that's the message to you. If you want to be with Jesus and Jesus be with you, you want to have Jesus be his follower, then that means you're not his manager, he's yours. You give up your rights to control. You give up your rights to uh, self-determination. It is the message of Christmas. Now, people come to me all the time and they'll say, well, pastor, I'm interested in Jesus. I'm interested in becoming a follower of Jesus, but I do not want to be a Christian if that means that I have to do X or Y. Well, what are they doing? They're trying to name Jesus. No, 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 no. We don't come to Jesus on our own terms We can't be with Jesus on our own terms. He will not be with you on your terms. Only on His terms. You see, when you and I come to Jesus, we drop all conditions. We drop all conditions. All conditions. We give up the right to self-autonomy, self-determination. But it's what Jesus calls us to do. Anyone who comes to Christ has come to Him With no conditions. Just as I am without one plea. But that thy blood was shed for me. Just as I am. To become a Christian, you're going to have to have the courage to do something that our culture today believes is absolutely crazy. And that is deny yourself. Give up your rights. To your life. But Jesus said it in Luke 9, 23. If anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, lay down your life daily for me, and follow me. You follow me, Jesus says, I do not follow you. I do not follow you. Now, I, I, I can't remember, but what book in the Bible do we find the verse that says, To thine own self be true. I can't remember what book is that. Yeah, <laughs> well, uh, see, God didn't say that. Shakespeare said that. Polonius in Hamlet, the the advisor to the king, said that. And by the way, you know, he was always giving the wrong advice. Polonius said that. That's the. Yet that is the. That is the view, the prevailing view in our... Oh, to thine own self be true. You hear it at high school graduations. You hear it at college commitment exor- commencement exercises. It's a terrible philosophy. There are all kinds of problems with that. It's causing us all kinds of problems in our culture. Jesus doesn't say to thine own self be true. He says, deny thyself. Take up thy cross and follow me. It is the opposite. It is the opposite. And so our culture is going to think you are Crazy to give up rights to determine your own way, follow your own path. I did it my way. You can sell records, but you can't go to heaven. (laughs) Not if you really believe that. Not if you really... It takes courage to respond to Christmas. You see, we need Jesus to name us. All this confusion about personal identity in our culture is rooted in this because it is Jesus who made us. It is Jesus who knows who we are. It is Jesus who knows what we were made for. It is Jesus who knows what will fit us. He is the one who knows our identity, and that means we cannot know who we really are until Jesus comes into our lives, and then we, through obedience... And following him, learn our true identity. It takes courage to admit that. It also takes another kind of courage. It takes courage to admit that you're a sinner. Courage to uh, take the world's scorn. Courage to give up your rights to self determination, and courage to admit, I really am a sinner. I really am in trouble. The angel told Joseph the mission of Jesus. It's right there in verse twenty one. He will save His people from their sins. That meant His people had sins. means not only they did, but you do, and I do. We are sinners in need of a Savior, but we do not want to admit that. We do not want to admit that, but you cannot know Jesus personally. He will not be with you, and you cannot be with Him until we see ourselves as He sees us, and we really are, and have the courage to admit, I am a moral failure. Can you do that? Can you admit, I don't love God with all of my heart, soul, mind, and strength. I don't even want to love God with all of my heart, soul, mind, and strength. I don't love my neighbor as myself, and I don't even want to love my neighbor as myself. I love me as myself. I love me, therefore I am guilty. I, I can't save myself. I need forgiveness. I can't forgive myself. I need pardon before I need anything else. It takes courage and honesty to respond to the claim of Christmas that way, to admit these things because it means throwing out our old self image and getting a new one through Jesus Christ. Yet that is the foundation of everything else that Jesus wants to do in your life and in my life, to bring all the comfort, to bring the hope, joyful humility, heaven after we die. Everything else comes after we have the courage to admit, I am a sinner in need of a, of a Savior. So, say, well, Pastor, how do I get this courage? Well, you get this courage by looking at Jesus Himself. Because if you think it takes courage for you to be with Him, think about the courage it took, infinitely more courage it took for Him to be with you. See, only Christianity says that one of the attributes of God is courage. No other religion has a God who needed courage, but we do, and we did. Uh, The great theologian J.I. Packer says this. He points out that... Jesus could save us only by facing an agonizing death that had Him wrestling in sweat in the Garden of Gethsemane. He became mortal and vulnerable so that He could uh, suffer, be betrayed and killed. He faced all these things for you and considered you worth it. See Jesus facing the darkness for you. See Him facing the darkness for you you. Next Sunday, we've already talked about it, it's Christmas Eve, four identical services. Every one of those services, we're going to sing the great Christmas carol, Hark, the herald angel sing. Now, when I was a little kid, I thought it was all one sentence and that that was the name of the angel, you know, Hark, the herald angel, Mr. Hark, angel. You know, I thought I didn't, you know, but anyway, it doesn't mean that, you know, so, so we're going to sing that beautiful Christmas carol. There's a line in that Christmas carol that we sing through. It's so Meaningful. Uh, We'll sing it next week. I want you to start thinking about it. It says, Mild, he lay his glory by. I mean, his glory, his weightiness as God. Mild, he put it aside. He lays his glory by. What does that mean? That means he did it willingly. That means he did it on purpose. That means he did it voluntarily. That means he did it lovingly. No one forced him, it was not his duty. He faced unimaginable pain and suffering and death out of love for you while you were still a sinner, while I was still a sinner, shaking my fist in the face of God. He had the courage to do that. Well, why did He have the courage to do that? Because He loved you. But God, Romans 5 says, demonstrates His love toward us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And that's how you get the courage to face the world's scorn, to give up your rights to self-direction and to admit that you're a sinner and throw yourself at the Christ of Christmas for salvation by faith. See Jesus doing all He did for you and it will draw out your love for Him and the courage to make this commitment in the face of Of these difficulties. So why don't you do that now? Pray with me. Let's pray. You take a moment. And you pray. Lord. Help me to see how much you loved me. That you are God. That you are human. And that you came to be with me. And I want to be with you. I ask for the courage. To face the world's ridicule. I ask for the courage to give up the rights to direct my own life. I ask for the courage to admit to you that I am a sinful person who can't save themselves. And so I give myself to you. Thank you for your love for me. I believe in you. And I believe you're able through your death on the cross and resurrection from the dead... Able to forgive my sin, I ask you to do it. Able to adopt me as your child into your family, I believe you're able to do it. ask that you create in me a a new heart, give me a new heart and a new life, put your spirit in me and enable me to now live with you and walk with you in this life and in the next. To the best of my understanding, I give myself to you. You take a moment. You tell Him. Lord, thank You for hearing these prayers. Thank You for the gift of new life at Christmas through faith in You. And it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Dogwood Podcast. We hope you enjoyed the message. For more information and other sermons, visit dogwood.church. If you would like to give to Dogwood Church, you can use your smartphone and text keyword Dogwood to 77977 or click the Give link online. You can now download the Dogwood Church app for Apple and Android devices for podcast, video, and to give.